Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chernard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. The, the Hawks have won eight straight games. And so, um, I mean, I guess I have to ask you how many, how many banners are the Hawks going to have to hang after the end, at the end of this thing? Uh, hopefully uh, one for just the month of March would be like <laughs> sort of the right middle ground. You don't want to overdo it and do like a Central Florida, you know, kind of thing where you hang a banner despite uh, not playing for the championship. Um, I don't know much about college sports. I don't know why that one sticks in my head. <laughs> but like, you know, they the last time they did that, they got a, a, what, a collective player of the month. I don't feel like they're. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like they're setting up for that this time. And the league, oh, got, no. enough gr- the league got enough grief last time uh, that the. I think they're gonna have to um, kind of recognize themselves. And a banner for the month of March sounds about right to me. Okay, we could put it next to the banner for lead certification. Right. Yeah. Uh, just to please our our friend, our good friend Bob. Or the one for <laughs> widespread panic. Phillips Arena had some banners. They're, they've gone away since then, but, you know, memories. Um, you know, the Hawks have won eight straight games, so I, I'm, you know, I want to hit on a pressing topic. So uh, here's, the, here's the question I've got for, for you to start, which is uh, who's the most impressive two-way player that the Hawks have signed in Travis Schlink's tenure? <laughs> when you say side, is that a free agent? <laughs> well, you know, a- I mean, every time you have a two-way player, you you sort of sign them at the beginning of that oh, year. Oh, so. oh, oh! I play around literally two, the the two-way players. Yeah, two-year two-way contract. Okay, the the, uh, the, the G, you offense. know, the the two-way G League NBA contracts. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you know that Tyler Cavanaugh. I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for Tyler Cavanaugh. But see, he wasn't a schlank though. He was he was bud, oh, that, right? It was well, it was yeah, Majet. That's true. Yeah, we, okay, so let, let me give you the, your full selection here. You, you saved me and from a terrible, terrible answer. <laughs> oh, well, I, and, and actually, you know, uh, I will let you – I was going to ask it in two parts, which is who is the best for Schlenk and who is the best for Hawks, you know, because okay. you get the one extra year. So your, your answer for that other one can be Tyler Cavanaugh when we get there, to it. There you go. Um, but yeah, I think if you go over sort of G League history, and it gets a little tricky because some guys get bumped up and then they sign a new two-year player. But I think if you look at sort of the full history, uh, I think we have Majette and Kavanaugh in in the first year of it. Uh, then in the second year, we've got Alex Poitras and Jalen Adams. Uh, and... And uh, I, I got to be careful here. I think we have Jordan Seibert as well. I think uh, Jalen Adams got the full deal midseason and Jordan Seibert. So I don't think he's going to be your answer, but we'll, you know, if we're making a complete list here. We got to put him in there. Um, and then we've got Brandon Goodwin. And who else did they have last year? I should have this at the ready. Who am I? Oh, Charlie Brown. How did I forget Charlie Brown? Don't answer that, Brad. Um, and you know this year we've got nathan knight and skylar mays so 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 there's your your list uh so if we if we start with just the the schlank tenure who do you like best among his two-way signings 
I think Brandon Goodwin is the most legitimate NBA player out of that group by by a a decent bit in my mind. He has some actual skills that you know put him uh, at the level what I what I would consider being you know right on the fringe NBA rotation player, and I think he could help a lot of teams. Uh, you know, he's really solid defensively and physical, surprisingly versatile on the defensive end of the court. Offensively, he can run the pick and roll. Um, he's not always the most confident guy kind of attacking the paint. Um, but he's made some I, – I should say I thought he was making some progress this year until he just stopped playing. <laughs> now it's hard to tell if that would – if that's continued or not, if that was just a flash, you know, of that. But I can't, I can't think of anyone else in that group that, to me, looks like a guy that I have full confidence can help most NBA teams. Really? Yeah. So you, you like you like Goodwin over uh, Nathan Knight and Skylar Mays? Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a <laughs> small sample for those guys. I mean, great start for both, right? For both Knight and Mays, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a great start. Um, but, you know, I mean, you, sometimes you ask – sometimes I want to ask myself – how much of that is because they're playing with better players than those other guys did, right? So their role is right-sized. Um, you know, um, there's a predictable kind of set of things that they're being asked to do. When you're on a, a better team, it can be – I guess it's a double-edged sword where it's harder to get on the court, you know, at times. Right. I mean, right. the, the compressed schedule this year helps, I think, that a, a little bit, opens things up a little bit, but – um, you know, if those two guys continue to do what they're doing and we're down to the last 10 games of the season, I think we have to revisit that. But right now, I'm more confident that Brandon Goodwin is a guy that can help almost any NBA team as a backup point guard or sort of a fifth guard on a team, depending on kind of how you – depending on what that team needs from a, a guy with that kind of guard depth. Um but you know he should be. He's this is his what like probably his fourth year kind of in and around the league. You know, so right. he should be, he should be more reliable and more solid in in kind of the different critical areas of play. But that's not to say that I'm not um, you know bullish on both Knight and Mays to to kind of get to a point where they're in at that same level of you know looking like they um, can reliably help help a team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty close contest. I think Goodwin is the best defender. I think Nathan Knight's probably the best offensive player. And Skylar Mays is a little bit in between. I don't think he's necessarily anything special as, de as a defender, but I think he gives you – I think he's he's a really smart defender. Um, and he just – you know, he's, he's – he's, he's pretty interesting as an offensive player too. I think he's very crafty in how he creates space at the rim. Uh, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a toss up. I, I think the ceiling for a night might be higher than for any of the three though. Yeah. And I think anytime you get a guy, his size, he's probably, I think they list him at six ten, but he's not a six ten. Um, I mean, he's probably, he's maybe six nine, but he can, he looks like a, a guy that can shoot it despite the fact that he wasn't really a perimeter shooter, you know, at the college level. Right. But it, he, he looks confident and he just lets it rip. <laughs> and when if they ignore him and he catches the ball on the three point line, he, he puts it up, he flashes, um, 
his ability to kind of put the ball on the floor if he closed out on him. He's he's had a what three or four highlight dunks already this year in limited minutes. Uh, he's he's pretty bad defensively. I mean, and you you called out his <laughs> <laughs> you called out his offensive value. I, I know he's yeah. had a few highlight blocks, but really defending in space, he's there's a reason he wasn't drafted. I mean, you know, and that's that's it. That's not to say he can't continue to become a better athlete, a better team defender, and get used to the speed and the demand of the, the, the position he plays, you know, has for players like that. So that's, it's a, it's a steeper curve than if it's a man when you're a big, no, no doubt about that. It's NBA teams have a certain level of basic um, competence <laughs> that you have right. to have kind of in your bigs. And that's, the, that's going to be the key for him. But with Mays, it's, it's really uh, as much to me about his versatility. He can play on the ball, off the ball, um, out of the group, he's he's a better, he's a good ball handler, and he has more size to work with than Goodwin does, right. and and he's just a solid decision maker with the ball. He doesn't, he's you know, he's not going to often give you kind of a highlight type pass, I think. But you know, when he runs, whether it's a pick and roll or whether he's in whatever action he's in, he always looks like he knows what he's doing. He never looks surprised. He, you know, he doesn't take, you know weird shots it all looks like it's within the the fabric of whatever action they're running so yeah I think they're both on a on a great trajectory um I, I'm curious now if Mays is older than Brandon Goodwin because he's he's, he's an older draft prospect you know he's probably Goodwin's probably got about a year I would bet um uh, not much more than that probably but. Yeah, Goodwin's older by about two years. Oh, two years. Okay. Yeah, then 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 Mays and Knight. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good to hear. I know that Goodwin bounced around a little bit at the college level too. Played for played a couple of different places even at the college level. But I mean, you know, so the, in terms of the duo, you you bring on to because teams have two two way spots every year. This is the best they've done in any season. I think that's that's pretty clear. Um, we consider both spots. I mean, do you have any um, thoughts on like what allowed them to do so much better this year? I mean, especially because both guys were undrafted free agents. I mean, Goodwin came out of Denver, who has an excellent basketball development, you know, operation there, right? And just got squeezed on roster spots, and they and they, you know, I think they were able to say, "Hey, there's some a real path to playing time here," and that's what kind of gave them um, uh, maybe an edge on getting Goodwin in, into the organization. But I think it's more impressive, you know, in a way when you get two undrafted free agents and they both look like viable guys that can play some credible minutes for you, even in their, in their rookie season. So uh, is it just good scouting or is there some, is the, is the organization, you know, able to compete for better prospects than they were a year or two ago? Do you have any thoughts on like, what allowed them to do better this year with two undrafted free agents? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I think it brings up an interesting question though, which is, uh, you know, how helpful is it like to be in the G league? I know that they're not going to suddenly expand NBA rosters to 17, which is kind of what they've done in a de facto way this season. Right. But, uh, you know, what's more helpful. Is it more helpful to, get actual on-court playing time in the G League? Or is it helpful to be around the same NBA coaches and the same NBA training staff and getting, you know, the same NBA pointers that you would get from the the top-level staff, uh, as well as getting used to 
the specific play design, uh, you know, the teammates that you would play with at the NBA level, you know, you kind of wonder that, you know, we say, well, you know, it's the, Skylar, Skylar Mays and Nathan Knight, they don't have the G League this year. That, what a huge strike against them. But I think it's a fair question to ask if just being around the parent club all year long has actually helped them. I think that's a reasonable I, uh, question. I, my guess is that the best situation for those guys is you get to practice um, and be with the, the real club as much as possible. And when you're not getting any minutes – you know, in, in, in games, you can get sent out to the G League just to get some game reps. It's probably yeah. the best situation. And then... That's true. Yeah. Um, I don't think playing... But there's a counter in, on the number of days, though. So, you you know, you don't... Right. Even if you do it that way, there's a cap. So you can't get maybe as much NBA experience as you would like doing it that way. I, I think that's going to change eventually. I, I, I don't really yeah. understand what the purpose of like on an off day, having to use probably, one of Probably to keep the salaries down because <laughs> they don't want to spend the extra coin. There's that's, some small market teams really, that don't want to play 17 salaries. Yeah, I guess so. And that's really on the, hopefully on the margins of operating expenses for an NBA team, you know. But, um, you know, I, maybe, maybe – you know, it maybe it all adds up like it does in, in everyday real life. You know, right. um, but in, in terms of be, you know, having that be, for example, um, a credible alternative or part of the credible alternative to guys spending like two or three years in college. You know, you know, I think time with the real club and time with the actual player development staff and, and getting exposure to all of that, you know, should really be maximized in the model. Um, and so I, I hope it's something that changes. Um, but, you know, for guy for guys like that are part of the, um, I forget the name of the program, the is it G League Elite? The, yeah, G League Elite, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, those guys need to play, you know, for sure. And they yeah. and they need and they need good competition. And they need good coaching. Um, and I haven't honestly paid a lot of attention to that this year, just because there was like 800 games every night with the schedule this year. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how those those you know I think it was three or four guys that they got see how they do in the draft coming up later this year will be interesting to see. But you know, for for me, it's if I was an agent, for example, I would want my guy to get as much exposure to the actual coaching and player development that the parent club has to offer as possible, and just the G League games just to be reps when you can't get on can't get on the court in actual games. Yeah, the Hawks have won eight straight games in a row, so I'm like just absolutely boring our te- listeners to tears, <laughs> and I'm sitting here drinking like sleepy time tea. But before we leave this, I would say that. Uh, <laughs> You know, when we talk about the kind of reps that Skylar Mays and Nathan Knight get when they're not part of the rotation, you know, I think what the Hawks will typically do on their off days when they have a practice, like today, um, and not that they necessarily did this today, but what you, you know, what they'll do on a lot of the type of days like today is if there's no game, you know, they'll have a practice where they'll, you know, script the plays that they want to run and sort of set things up for the next game. And it's very much a non-contact practice, non-athletic practice, really. And then what they'll do is they'll they'll have a four-on-four game in a lot of cases uh, with some of the lower minute guys. And and so that's 
that's probably what you're, you know, what Mays and Knight are getting when they're not in the rotation a lot. Even when they're in the rotation, to be honest, because they're still not playing that many minutes that they would be in those uh, low minute games. So that's what they'll do. And you know, if they're if there's a rash of injuries and there aren't a whole lot of uh, low minute guys, then they'll fill in with staffers and coaches. And Chris Gent will be out there hitting like sixty percent of his three pointers because he's got that old man shot just down perfectly. You sound jealous. <laughs> I am jealous. <laughs> He's like, he probably make like 50% of his half-court shots if we just let him stand out there and shoot. Yeah. Um, well, Matt Hill has to have some value as a rim protector, right, in those games? Probably, yeah. But, you know, I think as you get older, I think the, the, the shot – that's the value. It carries better to to unathletic people as they yes. age, and uh, you know the the height carries, but you still got to get somewhere with that height. <laughs> you, you do, but he, but Matt Hill's what fifteen years younger than Jen, something like that. Telling Jen, Jen is in good shape though. Oh yeah, he, he's more. Uh, no, I'm gonna be jealous. <laughs> I, I've seen this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so so tell me about the Lakers game. What, what takeaways? Uh, did you have from that game? Um, well, I mean, f- for me, it, it's a continued theme of just not making mistakes that, that put yourself in a bad situation, not having to kind of dig your way out of a, of a hole. Um, I, I still think that it's more of, well, I mean, how impressed are we with that individual? When eight in a row is impressive in the NBA, no matter really – who that set of opponents uh, might be. But anytime I kind of try to look at one specific game, you can kind of say, well, it's great they won. It's great that they didn't make mistakes in the final minutes of the game that it cost them or or make mistakes throughout the game that just made their own job harder, make, you know, make things harder themselves. So that, to me, continues to be kind of the theme is things are a little bit simplified. The reserve unit seems to be running stuff that they have more confidence in. Um, you know, Bogdanovich and Gallo and Rondo as a trio look uh, really um, fluid and kind of like there's really good chemistry there. Um, and, you know, they didn't get a ton of scoring from their starters, you know, in, in this game, and they still put up 99 against uh, – I know that there's no AD, and then we all know LeBron went out in, you know, the first, like, two minutes into the second quarter. But the Lakers are the best defensive team in the league, you know, by, like, something like – two or three points per hundred possessions. I mean, there's a decent margin there. And so to not get, uh, you know, a great shooting performance really from your starters apart from Collins um, and to still get 99 points and to, you know, have, I think they had a 14 point lead about nine minutes to go or something like that. That's, that's, that's good. That's a good product. So um, apart from that, I didn't really learn a lot. It, it did become, I think, a game that they should win on paper, um, but it's not like the Lakers aren't a really well coached team and still don't kind of throw a lot of just professionalism, you know, at you, even when they're absolute, those, those you know, two top five players are lucky to have other team. <laughs> yeah. Um, Capella being what was Capella was like four for 16. I want to get to that, but not yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to spend a fair bit of time on that topic, but, um, before we do that, I saw some stuff, you know, tweets or whatnot, you know, kind of indicating that, oh, well, you know, they're doing this uh, while, while Trey's having an off game, but 
it felt like he kind of took what the Lakers were giving him. Yeah. Is is that a fair assessment or no? No, I think that's totally true. I think I think he forced what maybe two shots. Mm-hmm. And you know, give me a break. You know, when the guy's going to be your like thirty five percent usage player, you're going right. to you know let him look hunt a little bit for a shot that he he might feel good about. You know, um, but his passing game was you know on the mark and. Um, and he, you know, one, if we want to kind of continue talking about differences between, you know, things we see now after the coaching changes before, he looks just a, a little bit more willing to kind of just give the ball up and let his teammates make, make plays. And that happened, I think, really consistently in this game. And, um, you know, what, I think he finished with like 14 and 11. Um, and you know, after the game, he looked perfectly happy. Um, kind of with where they are as a team and kind of kind of where he is uh, and so I, I think that I think if they can continue to function or he trusts the got other guys on the court to take advantage and play four on three or four on three and a half whatever it actually is I think that bodes well you know for for where things are going so that that was another thing that kind of jumped out to me Uh, okay, let's come back to Capella now. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, Zach Lowe mentioned him in his 10 things column. and The curse. He came with some pretty high praise. Well, he came <laughs> with some hit, pretty high praise. Uh, you know, he, he hit on the things like he's an amazing offensive rebounder. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's outstanding in transition, just the A to B sprint on offense. Uh, he runs the floor great for a center. Um, you know, he hit on the defense, how he's protecting the rim. He's protecting the rim without giving up a lot of rebounding. You know, he, he's not sacrificing the defensive rebound chances. He's kind of playing, you know, playing it straight, but still affecting shots and blocking shots. But there's still just, just there's something there about his game that's just not quite right. I mean, you know, part of it is, the offensive rebounding numbers are bananas, but a lot of those rebounds are just he's going after his own misses. Mm-hmm. It feels like he rushes some shots around the rim. Right. Um, I, 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 I think that's it, maybe. I, I don't know. There's just something unsatisfying. I think, you know, mostly on offense, on defense – I mean, I think he's been fantastic. I think when you can play Collins and Capella together, I mean, you really have to have the right set of players with them to make the spacing work and make sure that you can get enough offense out of it. But defensively, you know, you get to play with two bigs and two bigs that can block shots, two bigs that can rebound. They play pretty well together. They both function pretty well in space. You know, if you if you get them in a pick and roll, especially Capella, he can almost guard two people at once. He can kind of deal with the pick and roll ball handler, but stay close enough to the roll man. On defense, it's fine, but just there's just something about the offense that's deeply unsatisfying. Uh, and I don't know. It just it feels like something that teams might be able to exploit when you get to a setting like the playoffs. And I can do like my Jim Moore meme or something at this point, uh, <laughs> but it, it really looks increasingly like the Hawks are going to be a playoff team. And so now you've got to think, okay, well, when you play the same team seven times, uh, what's that going to look like? What are they going to go after? Uh, is it going to work with Capella on offense? 
Well, I think they have some work to do to make it, to, I would say to optimize it. Um, into, I think there's been pretty good consistency across the board that for the Hawks to kind of get to where they really want to be this year, they need to be, I mean, no doubt a top 10 offense, probably a top eight, you know, to, to really kind of hit that, that level of performance that they're looking for. Um, and but I think they I think they are exceeding expectations on defense. So then maybe they have a little bit more wiggle room, you know. On the yeah, offensive I think that end. changes when Hunter comes back too. I totally I don't think agree. What we have not seen yet, and I'm kind of spicy about it. Like, <laughs> what's it going to look like if you put Trey Young out there with Snell, Hunter, Collins, and Capella? It could be pretty pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> I can, like, I'm looking forward to if, it. If if you're trying to put like if he's like well how do I put a defense around Trey like that might do it like you could put a really good defense out there yeah if I were if I were a spicy fan on Twitter I'd be probably talking about how the league's just not ready for that you know and <laughs> and nobody's talking about it the disrespect you know all that sort of stuff okay. and that can, that's that's fun sometimes I and mean, that's not ever going to be on my timeline for me but uh, that's, that's that's there's room bad. for that there's room for that. Um, for for Capella, first of all, I think 16 shots from Capella is just too many. Uh, I know that well, sometimes some of they the, come four at a time. They they do. <laughs> I think you and I are both old enough to, to know that that's uh, sort of that Moses Malone was the original um, of that. Um, and, and that has value. Like you sure. think, well, it's just empty calories. But you know what? The the other people are jumping out there with him too. You 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 wear out a defense like. Teams get pretty miserable trying to jump three, four times to get a defensive rebound. You you wear the butt out trying to do that kind of stuff. So there there is a value to that. I have no problem with that at all. But I think sometimes that you look at the numbers, and say, oh my god, he had eight offensive rebounds. Well, yeah, that came on three plays, and and there's a value to it. But you kind of have to. It's almost like they should be in clusters or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the thing for me is, uh, I think right now too often when teams do bring an extra defender either all the way to the ball screen or up in the vicinity of the ball screen with, with Trey that they, they, they are inviting the Hawks to throw the ball to Capella and let him operate in the post you know they, it's basically one-on-one in the paint or down on the low block and I think opposing defenses are like hey you want to do that you're welcome to do it. you are welcome to do it right. and it's and it's been funny i don't know if you've seen this but like for the last i don't know what i've seen the last couple games since he came back from that brief injury but he was like dropping lefty hooks like he was like right you know left-handed cream of dolce bar there for like you know and i was like is that sustainable is that is it's that real? very hit or miss right there'll be the games that he just yeah, hits five of them, and then there'll be the games where he shoots that shot and it doesn't touch the inside of the room. It kind of hits the outside of the room. Right. Yeah, and the, the, because he's such a good second jumper is what makes him such a good offensive rebounder, especially on his own shots. There aren't many guys in the league that have his height and length and have that second jump that he has. So, like even like Rudy doesn't have that. You know, um, you know, right. Rudy has amazing footwork and you know just great technique and all that sort of stuff. But there aren't a lot of guys that have what he has as a second jumper with that size. But I do think that there are times when you're like, Oh, look how easy it is for us to throw the ball down to Clint on the low block. And there's nobody down there to help the big and he's, he can go one-on-one. You just stop and ask yourself, was like, there might be a reason this is so easy (laughs) and that this is so available to us. So it, you know, I think things are fine. I think he and Collins are frankly getting more comfortable 
with one another and kind of getting into each other's space. I wrote a little bit about that in the follow-up to the, on the Lakers win. But for me, I think if it looks that accessible, Capella touches the low post, you, you have to kind of stop, you know, occasionally and ask yourself if, that, if there's a reason for that. And I don't think it's probably going to be efficient enough uh, in a macro sense, you know, or, and then even more so in important games like the playoffs or high leverage situations in a close game, like even in the regular season. And so I think they need to find a way to, yeah, I think they need to find a way to, to to pull back from that. You know, old school coaches and Nick McMillan is an old school coach kind of believe in letting a big, a defensive big get a little bit of love offensively early in the game, just to kind of get them activated and engaged. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think that as Jackson love that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely did. Um, you know, uh, and then you go all the way back to, you know, we saw, um, you know, uh, Robert Paris, you know, kind of get that treatment back in the day. Um, I think you were referencing Bill Cartwright getting kind of those opportunities uh, back in the day. Um, some of your listeners only know who he is probably from the Jordan documentary, but, you know. Um, but Speaking of the that, Jordan documentary, like, uh, Trey – I swear, I mean, I literally asked him about this and he didn't really, you know, say yes to this, but like that pass he threw at the end of the game was basically the magic, or it was basically the Magic Johnson meme from that documentary where he's like miming the pass and he like puts it behind his head and he does like this motion. It was, it was like, he literally did the exact same motion with that. It's like, he just saw Magic do that. And he's like, well, I'm here on the Lakers home court. Let me try to pass it just like Magic did. And I, and I noticed you, you're the one who asked that question post-game to kind of see if he would talk about that. But that was, it was eerily reminiscent of that famous uh, Magic play. So I think, I think that was spot on. But, you know, I, I do think that they um, need to kind of divest a little bit. Sort of, you know, probably, I would say about midway through the second quarter, into the fourth quarter, if they're going, if they find themselves going to one-on-one opportunities for Capella in the post, they need to think think about if that's really the right diet <laughs> and the and the best formula for them to kind of hit the marks offensively. Um, and I mean, there are always going to be situational things like if he's going up against a guy who has two fouls, it'd be really valuable to maybe get a third foul on him. Go, you know, hey, let's chase after that goal, but you're not really doing it for, you know something that's going to give you something in the range of, you know, 1.15 or 1.2, you know, points per possession, you know, and things like that. Um, if he were, you know, a Joel Embiid level free throw shooter, again, that changes everything, but he's not, you know, and so teams are just going to hack him pretty good if he gets, you know, close enough to the rim that the, it's hard to deny him. So I do think they've been, you know, for a good bit of your leaning on that too much. Seems like maybe you kind of agree that that might be the case. Yeah, I think the other confounding factor is that, you know, if if he has one of those games where, oh, you know, he just made four lefty hooks in a row, it's very easy to double him because right. he's not an exceptional passer. Right. Or if you want to go back to something like the Dallas game where, you know, you're, you're worried about Trey Young, you've come up with some excellent junk defenses that you want to throw at him. You know, if that hinges in any way on Clint Capella having to sort of make a quick read and get the pass in the right direction, you know, that's that's a little bit of a risk because I think he's, you know, at least in terms of the starting lineup, he's clearly the uh, the passer who needs to improve the most. And, and passing doesn't really come to him that naturally. And, you know, 
I think the offense here looks a lot different than what he was dealing with in Houston. So maybe that will get better over time as he gets more used to what he's seeing here. But uh, I, I think the lack of passing makes it a little bit trickier too. Yeah. And I think, I think what we see with Nate is that he's willing to shorten the rotation a little quicker than, than Lloyd was. And for example, in the, in the Lakers game, you know, Knight and Okongwu both struggled a lot in that the one kind of lengthy stretch they played. They had to play Knight, I think, like two minutes in the second half just to kind of get breathers worked in. Um, and he wasn't quite as bad as Okongwu was in the first half. But you can see a lot of Gallo and JC playing together at the four and five. And, you know, that's something I think to kind of keep an eye on. That gives you the chance to play five out if you want to do that. And that's where Collins' versatility of being able to play on the perimeter or, you know, function as uh, the one in when you're playing everybody else out um, is is great. So that's, you know, but figuring that out defensively obviously is something. But, you know, I, I know that before the coaching change was made, I would often hear how frustrated fans were when Clint didn't close games. You know, I think back to the Brooklyn game when um, Steve Nash went with Jeff Green at the five to close and, and Pierce pulled Clint and closed with JC at the five. And I want to say in that game, maybe it was Solo playing the four. I can't quite, um, some some Gallo and some some Solo. Um, but, I mean, I don't know if anybody noticed, but Clint didn't exactly close this Lakers game. It was JC and Gallo for the, a, a good bit yeah. of that final stretch. And, and a lot of the fourth quarters, late late fourth quarters. Like, you know, I, we're coming up on the trade deadline, and maybe this is a segue to that. But, you know, when you look at the whole situation with the Hawks bigs, like trying to imagine playing all 48 minutes of a game without Collins would be – it'd be pretty devastating – Mm-hmm. they really rely on him so much at the end of games. Like, I don't know. Like, I, you know, you, you just invite so many problems uh, trying to finish a game with Capella that you don't have with Collins. Like, it just, I don't know. Like, you know, just the whole, okay, well, you know, you mentioned playing five out. If, if teams try to counter that by, like, switching, then you post up John. Like, that's an ideal situation for him because he's going to end up on somebody really small with great spacing around him. And, you know, he's one of the few post players in the league that that's, you know, that's just ideal. Um, I don't know. I just, it's just he's so valuable to what they do late in games. Yeah. It's, it's hard to imagine letting him go. Like, I think that would really alter their season this season if they do that. Yeah. And I, and I think, to, to your point, especially high level, like close games, I think back to – that nice Spurs, that nice win they had in San Antonio last year when Kevin, you know, hit the shot from the left corner. And what they what they did was, you know, they closed with the what the I think they're called, called the core five last year, Trey, Cam, Kevin, JC, and Hunter. And they pulled Trey with the ball all the way as far to the right, you know, as they could. And Collins came and set the screen and he sprinted all the way down toward the left corner to make a purtle. Uh, really have to basically cover maximum territory to kind of get back to Collins. And that's what threw the playoff trade through the behind the back pass to Hunter Hunter, you know, used his famous like one jab uh, uh, technique and then, you know, put the ball to the court and then found Kevin in the corner, you know, I, John just, you have to, you have to count for him wherever he is because he can shoot. And then his speed, you know, Capella's fast, but Collins is elite, you know, Collins is quick. 
like this. Yeah, and he get he's one step, and he's at like you know he looks like he's at you know full velocity, and he gets separation from the other team's bigs, and that does when the other team is going to double Trey, that does that just opens up so many more options. So and and some people some listeners might be thinking, well, Gallo can do a lot of that, but Gallo is so stiff these days, and he's he it takes him a good three steps to get up to whatever speed he can get to, and defenders can just run at him and force him to pick the ball up, and it, that's just asking him, I think, to do too much, and so I don't know how they replace what he has unless they just w- decide they want to play DeAndre at four, like, a ton, which, um, you know, which probably is an option, you know, maybe, but if you're going to have him defending point guards the way that he has earlier in the year, I don't know how you kind of manage that back line defense, you know. Right. And then I think you punt also on a lot of like a lot one of, of the things rebounds. a lot of rebound exactly. And so I would say is rebounding is becomes goes from a strength to I think a deficit. And so I have a hard time kind of kind of seeing that too. I think I think it's natural that they're talking just because of the way I think they are concerned about what the cap sheet's going to look like and where they are going to be in, in relation to the tax, like two years out probably. Um, but I, I, I have a hard time visualizing how they kind of put a rotation back together. If they were to move him in a way that kind of gives them that two way continuity that Collins is giving them. And, and he, and to your point, kind of the unique things he offers them that nobody else can quite, quite replace the, in terms of what they have on the roster right now. Uh, is there anything else you want to hit on? I don't think so. Do when, I mean, do you have a guess as, as to when we're going to see Hunter back? I think he's what, technically questionable for the Clippers game, if, if I, I remember mean, correctly. I, I'm going to guess that it's one – I mean, just irresponsible guess here. I would say once you get to questionable, it's probably one of the next two games. That, you know, yeah. I think – Maybe tomorrow, like that, that. That seems fair. I think. I don't think you typically see somebody as probable in their first game back. So I think you know, questionable is as, as high as you're going to see him rated until he actually hits the court. So, um, you know, I think they do a day to day assessment. You know, they they want to find out every single morning. Okay, how do you feel this morning? Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I yeah. think it'll be very soon. If if he's doing four on four work and he was out on the court again today. Yeah, I, I think it's super, super duper soon. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to throw him at Kawhi Leonard or Paul George's first game back, and I wouldn't want him no, around right. Marcus Morris <laughs> his first game back. I just don't trust Marcus Morris, so <laughs> I would, I would punt on that one for sure. And I, I what who do they have next? Kings, I think. Kings, yeah. Seems like yeah, that might be one to get him on a 15 minute limit if, if, if he's up for it. I, I vote for skipping the Clippers. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I do think that if they play him versus the Clippers, he's, you know, he, he'll be coming off the bench. So I don't know that his yeah. a ton of his minutes would get matched up against somebody like Paul George or Kawhi anyways. I think, I think they could, they probably uh, give him a pass on that for the first game. Yeah. I just thought that because they literally have no one else. I mean, you know, clearly Snell's job was going to be to match up with LeBron, with LeBron you know, and when LeBron went out right. and got hurt, Snell kind of fell out of the rotation in the second half. And <laughs> I wrote that it looked like he was kind of game plan just to kind of focus on defending LeBron. I mean, good luck to anyone, you know, being asked to do that. Um, but, I mean, if you watch the Clippers, I, they don't have many minutes where one or the other is out on the court. Yeah, they're going to stagger. Yeah. But I still think that if, if you, they play Hunter that they'll – I don't know. I, I – 
think they might pr- protect him, but maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah, I would hope so. But I mean, like you, you also want to protect Bogdanovich now, and he's not uh, uh, above average on ball defender. So no. they're just there's just there's not a lot of great options right now. So I I vote I vote we wait till wait till. Uh, I think we'll see more of Solomon Hill than than maybe in a typical game. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. He he had he's had he has the the physical the physicality to kind of hold up and you know I mean Paul George inquired different players. Kawhi wants to get to his spot. Yeah. And if you sure. can keep him from getting there and, and you gotta be pretty strong to have any shot. So I think solo has a little bit for him where Snell might probably have the best shot with Paul George because you Paul George will run you across a million screens and Snell's you know, really, really good at navigating that. So that's yeah. that's what I would look for there. And let's let's uh let's reintroduce DeAndre against against the Kings. No, no, uh, <laughs> not intending to slander the Kings or anything like that. <laughs> Hunter's a competitor. He'd probably be like, "Yeah, let's go." I I would believe he, that. he's fiery. Yeah, like, he's gonna, got that quiet fire. It, you know what's uh, maybe uh, you know if you're trying to close out here. I mean, the last few years, how much would we have been kind of dreading this road trip, you know, for a Hawks team? And now it's, I mean, I'm getting pretty excited, you know, about what they might be able to do here. So that's, I think that's a positive thing for the fans. Um, you know, I, I'm not a very emotional you know, basketball watcher. So if I'm getting, if I'm feeling excited about the, the other seven games here, I imagine that it's even more so for kind of the average fan out there. So I, I'm excited to see what happens here. Yeah, some interesting opponents too. For sure. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Glenn. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Appreciate you having me on. Always fun to chop it up with you, Kevin. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. <laughs>